Hi, welcome. Thanks for joining us again today. Listen, we just finished a series called Pathways, where we were looking at the importance of walking on the right pathways in our lives. Really looking at what Proverbs said about pick the right ones. I want to start another small series now that's called Walking in the Will of God. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at what it is to walk in the will of God. In many ways, this fits nicely off the back of our previous series, because if we're going to live to walk on the correct pathways, we need to understand that most often than not, the correct pathways that we walk on involve the will of God for our lives. So we're going to be looking at walking according to the will of God. But before we can talk about walking in God's will, we've got to know what God's will is. Now, when we read the prayer in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a great prayer, a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. But we've actually got to know what God's will is so that we can see his will, not just done on earth, but done through our lives. There's two, um, there's two key common questions that a lot of Christians have as I'm speaking to them around the subject of the will of God. Number one, it's just simply, what is the will of God? Often Christians will say, I know that I'm called to live in the will of God and walk according to the will of God, but what is the will of God? The other key question would be, how can I know the will of God for my life? I've lost count of how many times I've heard good Christians with good hearts say to me, I want to know the will of God for my life. How can I know the will of God for my life? Or indeed, how can I know the will of God for this moment that I'm in, this situation that I'm facing? Before we look at knowing God's will as it's revealed in specific moments we may be going through, we could call that the unrevealed will of God for something that we're doing. It's important that we start with God's revealed will. Now, there's times in your life where you will pray, you will seek the Lord for his will in a situation that you're facing or going through. But there's other times where you don't need to seek God's will for something or for the moment that you're in because he's already <clears throat> revealed his will. That's why I want to start our journey together looking at God's revealed will, that which is already made known. Now, what do we mean by God's revealed will? We mean that God has already made his will, what he wills and he desires for us, known concerning so many things concerning our life and he's revealed his will the way he wants things done what his desire is for us in his word what do i mean by the word obviously i mean scripture i mean the bible so before we go on a hunt for the currently unknown will of god for something in our life we need to know submit and celebrate to the revealed will of god what has God already revealed about his will for us in the word? Now, God's word, the Bible, is his last will and testament. He's written down everything that he desires to be done and how he wants things done within scripture, within his word, the Bible. Now, we've heard that example before, haven't we, in life, when somebody has a last will and testament. What do we mean by that? 
what we often mean is when somebody's will is read out, it's the last will and testament of their life. And in it is contained their desires for what happens next with their possessions, etc. Whenever you hear a will or of a will and testament, it's a document that includes the will of someone, the desires of someone concerning their life. And that's what we look at when we approach the word of God. The word of God is many things. It's a living book. It's a book filled with truth. It's the manual for correct Christian living. But also it's the last will and testament. We've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. In it is contained God's revealed will for a whole bunch of things pertaining our lives and our life journey. Here's a key verse I want to use over the next three weeks, and it's found in Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. I'm going to read that scripture for you now. It says in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to know, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. I love these verses because it says that we'll be able to know and be able to test not just God's will, but God's perfect will for us in moments and situations that we may be facing. A couple of things that jump out to me when I'm reading this scripture is number one, that knowing and testing God's will starts by us firstly seeing our lives now as living sacrifices for his purposes. The Bible clearly says that our lives are no longer our own. We were bought with a price. That it's a good thing for us each day now to, in prayer, at the beginning of the day, say, Lord, I don't present my life to things I once presented my life to. Neither do I present the members of my body to the things I once presented them to. Now my life is yours and I present my life to you, alive from the dead, a living sacrifice to be fulfilling your purposes and your will for it. Number two, that we purpose to live a new, a non-conformist life to the way that society teaches us to live. Remember, the Bible says, don't be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. It's encouraging us. We've now been called out of the world and we're not to be conformed to the will of the world for our life. Rather, we're to be passionate about God's will for our life. Doing these two things, I really believe, will cause us to, as it's promised, understand his perfect will for our lives. Now, we find his revealed will in his word, in his word, in his testimony, the Bible. When we look through scripture, we can see God's will revealed for us concerning so many things that we have to face in life. This is sometimes referred to as the prescriptive will of God. What do I mean by the prescriptive will of God? These are things that God has clearly shown he requires for us in his word. 
For example, here's a couple of examples. In Matthew 19, 19, it says, honor your father and your mother. That's the prescriptive word or will of God. God says, this is my will that you honor your mother and father. He's made it clear in his word so that we know what his will is in that relationship circle that we find ourselves. Another example would be, Um, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. That's in Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. And again, that's pretty straightforward. God is saying in these verses, in this type of prescriptive will of God verse, the things that he expects from us um, to be doing as we live for him. Now, that would also then include what we would call and theologians would term the prohibitive will of God. You have the prescriptive will of God. That's where you look into the word of God, the Bible, and you see God said, this is how I want you to live in relationship. This is how I want you to live morally. This is how I want you to live in relationship with me. There's nothing hidden. God has revealed his will clearly for ways that we're to live. But also when you look in the Bible, you you don't just see the revealed will of God for things he want he wants from us but you also see the revealed will of God for things that are prohibitive things that God says I don't want you to do that now these are things where God says you would do well to keep away from doing these things couple of examples Um, You shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. You find that in Exodus 20. But God says, my will is that you never take my name or the name of the Lord in vain. Here's another example that you find in Exodus 20. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. These are all things that reveal the prohibitive will of God. God saying, it's my will that you don't murder, that you don't commit adultery, that you don't steal. So we can see when we look to scripture, the things that God says, this is the way I want you to live, but also things where he says, this is the way I don't want you to live. But there's a number of instances within the Bible where God actually highlights certain things that he really wants to underline to us. This is my will for your life. So we're going to look at a couple of these things today. Number one, that we would seek to know and understand his will. That's God's will for us, that we would be a people that seek to know and understand his will for our life. That we wouldn't be a people just cruising through life, not really caring what the will of God is. But rather, we're a people that say, God, I seek to know and better understand your will for me. The verse I want to highlight that underlines this thought is found in Ephesians 5 verses 15 to 20. Listen to what it says. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Rather, understand or seek to understand what the Lord's will is. And then it carries on. Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. 
always giving thanks to God the Father for everything you have, everything that you are in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, within that passage of scripture, there's a whole lot of things that are the will of God for our life, but it underlines that we should be seeking to understand his will, and in that is his will for our lives. So let's look at a couple of things from that passage of scripture. We're to be a people that seek to understand and live true to what God's will is. Number two, we're to be a people who aren't overcome by other things. You see, if you're living under the influence of other things like alcohol, then the will of those things is dominating in your life. And God is saying, don't live under things that dominate your life and bring their will, which is contrary to God's will, into existence in your life. Rather seek to know and live in God's perfect will for who you are. And then number three, it says that we're to continually be or be a people who are continually giving thanks for what we have. You know, thanksgiving really is the will of God for our lives. And we're to be a people that aren't walking around moaning about what we haven't got. But we choose to because we know it's the will of God for our life to be looking always to things uh, that we can give thanks for. So number two, the Bible reveals to us when it comes to God's will for our life, not just his prescriptive will or his prohibitive will, but he's actually highlighted this thought and put great emphasis upon it. But we should be a people, it's God's will, that we would be a people that live set apart lives and lives that are pure. Let me read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5, where it highlights these thoughts. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. There we go. It clearly says it is God's will that we would be sanctified. That word sanctified means set apart, set apart for him. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable. Not in passion and a passionate outburst like the pagans who do not no God. Okay, there's a couple of things highlighted here regarding the will of God. Number one, that we live lives that are set apart for him. That's the will of God. If you're saying, well, I don't know what the will of God is. No, you may not know what the will of God is for a certain situation that you're facing. But when it comes to how we live our lives, the will of God is that we live um, called out lives. That's the word that's used for the church, ecclesia. It means those who have been called out. Out, those who live differently to what they once lived. So the will of God, the revealed will of God for you and for me is that we live lives that are called out, set apart, but also we live lives that are pure. It's the will of God that you live a pure life and you abstain from sexual immorality. It says it within those verses in First Thessalonians. Now, a pure life really does and especially involves the area of our sexuality. The Bible is very clear about how we should conduct our lives in the area of morality and sexuality. And God has revealed his will of how we should live in that area or subsection of who we are. 
But many people choose to lay aside the will of God and do the things that make them feel good or please them for a moment. But in, in, in choosing those things that please them for a moment, they need to understand that they're laying aside God's revealed will for how they should live and function sexually. That God has a plan that involves purity in the area of sexuality in our lives. And we should be a people that don't just say we belong to God, but choose to live by God's revealed will for that area of our life also. <clears throat> and that means that we don't define normal by an eroding society or a confused society that try to tell us what the right way to live sexually is. Rather, we look to God's word, his timeless word, for how he reveals we should live in accordance to his will. Now, number three, <clears throat> that we should live lives that are rejoicing and prayerful and thankful all the times. Again, I'm going to read from First Thessalonians, this time from chapter five, verses 16 to 18, where it reads this way. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Again, we can clearly see that the Bible underlines that this is God's will for us who are now in Christ. And it mentions three lifestyle characteristics of a believer. Number one, that we're a people who are always rejoicing. What does that look like? We're not moaning all the time, complaining all the time, but we're rejoicing. We've got the joy of the Lord in our lives and we consciously take time to rejoice. Number two, we're a people who are praying. That's a no brainer, isn't it? What does prayer look like? I'm not talking about moments of prayer, but it says that God's will is that we pray continually. That means that we are constantly open to the voice of God. We're including God in the whole of our day, not just in a moment at the start of the day, that we're a people who are living prayerfully. That's God's will for your life. And number three, that we're a people who are again found giving thanks. Now, I love it that it says in all things, not for all things. Come on, let's be real. There's certain things that can happen to us in our lives that we can't be thankful for. But there's certain things that when they're happening, we can be thankful in those times. That's why the Bible clearly says in all things, not for all things, give thanks. Always be living in moments, whether they be good, challenging or hard, where you're giving thanks to God for who he is and what he's done in your world. Number four, God's word reveals to us that it's his will that none should perish. Let me read you these verses from Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some would count slackness, but it is long suffering, but he is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we read very clearly in those verses, the revealed will of God regarding a person perishing in eternity, but also in this life. What do we read? That it's not God's will 
that any should perish. What is it to perish? One definition says to perish is to slowly fade away, to go around in the same old pointless circles, producing nothing, to slowly fade away like a candle burning its last moment of wax till one moment, it is no more. Those are all pictures of what it is to perish. We need to understand that it's not God's will. He clearly says it. It's not his will that any perish. Rather, we come to a place of repentance. What's repentance? A way of changing our thinking, not just being sorrowful for things we would have done, but changing the way that we think so that we can change the way that we live. I love that. It's so clear. It's his will. None should perish. Now, his will, as well as being revealed in his word, is also revealed in his ways. You see, as you read the Bible, you don't just see him speaking about what his will is, but you see in his ways what his will is. Let me give you an example of this. Um, his will is that the sick are healed. How do we know that? Because the Bible teaches us that that's the will of God. But also the Bible demonstrates in how Jesus lived that healing is the will of God for people. Now, a great example here in Matthew 8, we read about a leper <clears throat> that came to Jesus and the leper himself was confused about this. Let me read to you from Matthew 8 verses 1 to 2. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, if you are willing, he didn't know whether God was willing. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the man was cleansed from his leprosy. This is a brilliant account because the leper came to Jesus and the problem was there was a question mark whether God was willing or not. Jesus responds, I am willing. And then this man receives a miracle that took away his leprosy and gave his life back. Now, it's important that we believe that healing is his will. Otherwise, we will be like this leper confused that the things we're praying for may not be God's will for us. That's why God confirms his will and we see his will revealed in scripture, not just by the words that we read, but in seeing the things that Jesus did. You see, when you read through the Gospels, you can read the Gospels and see whatever Jesus did for someone in the Gospels is his will for us today. Whatever Jesus did for someone then should be our expectation of what he will do for us today. If he healed the sick then, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. His will is the same yesterday, today and forever. And if he healed the sick then we can have an expectation, not a question mark, but it's his will that we don't perish in our health, that we can experience healing <clears throat> in our bodies and in our minds today. Another way of looking at this is if it wasn't his will to heal the sick, 
Why did he send out his disciples to lay hands on the sick? When the disciples were sent out to lay hands on the sick, they were given the mandate of his will beyond him going to the cross and rising from the dead. Today, we can still lay hands on the sick and see them healed. Why? Because it's not God's will that any should perish. And that's just not speaking of their eternity. It's speaking about the life that they're living here and now. I love it in Revelations chapter 19, verse 10. It says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Maybe that has confused you over the years. It did me for many years until I read it as simple as it's written. What it's saying is the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of what we can prophetically expect in our now. What does that mean? The things that we saw Jesus do in the testimony of Jesus, the Gospels, is actually a prophetic statement because that was the moment that he was in. But it's a prophetic statement, a prophetic statement of our now. If Jesus did that when he walked the earth 2000 years ago, that's still the will of God for us today. I love that, don't you? So it's his will that none should perish. Now, this has got a eternal context to it. It's got the context that there really is a heaven and a hell. There really is one day if a person's name isn't written in the Lamb's book of life, they will either go to an eternity in paradise with God or an eternity of separation in a place we know as hell. But it's not God's will that any would experience hell, but all that would come in to his paradise after they've died in this life that they know. Now, this is what should fuel our passion to let others know the gospel or the good news of Jesus. Because if somebody doesn't hear or the correct gospel, if somebody doesn't hear what Jesus did for them at the cross, if somebody doesn't hear that they don't have to go to hell, that by placing faith in Jesus, they can have an assurance of eternity beyond this life they know, then they won't have the opportunity to choose Jesus. It's not God's will that any perish. This is what should push us on, guys. Come on, let's make sure everyone in our world, especially our friends and family, hear that God has made a way for them to be saved because it's his will that they be saved and that none perish. Now, as well as talking about eternity, salvation also speaks about the here and now. We've got to believe, because the Bible clearly teaches us that we can, that it's God's will that people are healed. It's God's will that people are set free. It's God's will that people were made whole. Because the word salvation itself, sozo, actually means this. Jesus is the saviour who brought salvation. What does the word salvation mean? Well, the word that we use for salvation, sozo, means um, the rescuing of someone from great peril, to protect, to keep alive, to preserve life, to deliver, to heal, to be made whole. See, we understand that God's plan of salvation is a plan where his will is expressed in bringing us wholeness where we're broken in this life that we now live, but in also the eternity that waits for us beyond the grave. 
It's amazing that actually Jesus' name means salvation, wholeness. The word, the name Jesus comes from the word Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. What does that mean? The Lord is healing, restoration, wholeness, rescuing, deliverance, us being made whole. Now, his will is also found in his name. His name means salvation. His will is salvation, not just for our eternal life that we experience beyond the grave, but also for our life here on earth. Don't be like the leper who has a question mark. If you are willing, Jesus, know that the will of God is revealed in his word, but wherever there isn't wholeness in your life, the Lord wants to bring wholeness in those area. So I want to encourage you on this first um, day of our journey together where we're looking at walking in the will of God. Before we go into pursuit on things that are unknown concerning his will, like we've spoken of, things you may be going through where you're uncertain concerning God's will for what you're experiencing. Let's start by really bringing our lives afresh to his revealed will, to bringing our lives under the authority and the rule and reign of what he's revealed in his word concerning what his will is for us the things that we're to do and the things that we're not to i believe that when we have a heart and a passion for god's revealed will then we can begin to allow the holy spirit to open our eyes to the unrevealed will concerning things that are more personal to situations that we're in I hope that made sense today. Come back and join me next week as we continue this journey looking at walking in the will of God. God bless.